Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Father. We thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you that you um, and your sovereignty have um, elected to bring everybody in this building here today. You, um, I know a lot of times we think we're in the driver's seat, Father Lord, but this is your church. You've called us to be your children, Father Lord. You've called us out of your goodness and out of your mercy towards us, Father Lord, um, and you've landed us here. So we're grateful and thankful to be here this morning. We thank you that we ask the church, um, as the church, the people and the word of God, that we get to gather around the good news of the gospel, Father. It's not our lights. It's not... Um, the coffee is not any of that stuff that makes us the church. It's us as people who rejoice in the goodness of the cross and Jesus Christ coming together um, to um, fellowship and to celebrate what you have done, Father Lord. And uh, so we just praise you, Father, that you called us into your marvelous light and, um, and that we get to be here, Father Lord. So we just praise you. We pray for all other churches in this city, Father Lord. Um, some churches are out in the streets this Sunday feeding people, doing so many things that are an absolute blessing, and we're praying for them as well and for just the gospel, be, gospel to be lifted high. Um, and just we pray for all the churches around the world that are gathering today. Pray for the families, Father Lord, that may even be experiencing just hardship during these holidays, um, right in this room, outside of our building, all of that stuff, Father Lord. We just pray... Um, for your goodness and mercy in that, and that we will believe the gospel above all things, and that will help us to bear all things, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if this is your first time here, we have been, fellas, hit the clock for me back there. We um, have been in an Advent series, right? So Advent means like the coming of somebody notable, right? And for us, it's Jesus Christ, right? And so we have been in a series on Advent, um, but I think, you know, we get this frustration around Christmas time or whatever, like in our church every year, we kind of end up in the same vein where it's kind of like you see kind of the commercialization of Christmas, which is the com commercialization of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so, you know, we have all these words like peace and joy and all these things that get thrown around and they feel really good. They make you feel really good inside. Um, but what does it actually mean? Like when we say like, Jesus Christ came and he brought peace and joy. Why did he bring peace and joy, right? Yesterday I was watching this, um, this artist who I kind of grew up listening to back in the day. Um, he was on Instagram and he just was walking and he was like, man, he's like, um, is that my baby over there? Is that Jules over there? Okay, all right. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, I'm just playing. I thought that was Jules over there yapping, like trying to call me. Anyway, um, they can make as much noise as they want to. We're a baby-friendly church. Anyway, so um, I'm watching one of the artists. So I'm watching the artist yesterday, and he says, um, he said, you know, he's kind of giving a spill, and he goes, man, you know, in Jesus, man, you know, it's Jesus season, so, you know, let's all be happy. And so I was, you know, one part of me is kind of excited because I'm like, well, God, okay, talking about Jesus. The other part of me is like, what does that actually even mean? Like, is Jesus like this just magic wand that we kind of spit his name out and it's supposed to mean everybody's supposed to like, oh, let's get happy all of a sudden. Let's get in this festive mood. Like, you have to know what it actually means. Are y'all with me on that? Right? It has to like, ha it has to mean something to you, right? You get where I'm coming from? Like, if you're actually starving and somebody's like, yo, I just came in with, you know what I'm saying, with, with a Big Mac. I got a couple in the bag, a couple extra ones. We're going to get excited because you're starving. You may not eat Big Macs. I don't eat them either, but I don't know why I just went there, all right? But you get where I'm coming from, right? There is something on the flip side of that where it's like something's missing, and because now there's something, there's this great, I'm, I'm joyful. Y'all with me on that? So we're going to go into that today. Um, and it's going to be a little bit of a hard message for what, you know, people would deem a Christmas service, but we're going to work our way to joy and peace in a very, very real way is what I want to accomplish today. So last week we were talking about, we talked about Advent, we talked about the coming of Christ, and then we talked about love. Like we were talking about what are some of the things that came out of Jesus Christ coming. When they said Christ is coming, oh my God, the King, God is sending his son to earth. He's bringing joy, he's bringing peace. We talked about how he was going to bring love, like true love. 
and we talked about how we have this messed up perspective of what love is, and one of the things we read was 1 Corinthians 13, and I just want to recap that real quick, right? So it says this. It says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And it says, love is patient and kind. Love, love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. How many of y'all get irritable? Or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. How many of y'all seen The Karate Kid before? I'm going to have to kick you out if you haven't seen it yet. All right. Seen The Karate Kid? Y'all remember when The Karate Kid is fighting in the battle or whatever, and he's going against the Cobra crew, and then one of the guys is like, yo, sweep the leg, Johnny. Y'all remember that? Come on, don't look at me crazy. Some of you got to remember that. It's like the, this scripture is a sweep the leg, Johnny. This is like, it's all day long. It's a sweep the leg, Johnny, or whatever, right? He says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, he goes through this amazing list that, like, if you actually have these giftings and his talents, you're pretty awesome, right? Like, if you, if you speak in the tongues of men and angels, I'd say you're pretty awesome, right? If you can understand all mysteries and all knowledge and you have crazy faith, and if you will give you, if you're so sacrificial that you're willing to just lay your whole life down on the line, I would say you're pretty awesome. But the scripture right here, Paul goes this. He says, he says all that. He says, but if I have not love, he says, I am nothing. And he says, I gain nothing. And what he's doing right there, he's sweeping the leg on our self-righteousness right off the bat. Like these are all the things we put on Hallmark cards about ourselves or whatever. And, and stories we tell ourselves, you know, inside a church sometimes like, you know, like we, we honor like, oh, they're a prophet. They have this gifting. We, they have this gifting. God says if all those giftings are not laid at his feet to serve him and you don't do it out of love for him and out of your brother and sister in Christ, then he says you actually gain nothing. Right? It means that you're actually a detriment to his body, to the church, to the people of God, to people just period. You become a detriment because you're actually serving yourself. Are y'all with me so far? It's a hard word. I told you it's to sweep the leg, Johnny, right? He's not playing with us, right? But that's where we went last week. We're going to follow that same deal or whatever. One of the things is, is that when we think about Jesus in America, right, we color him with so many things besides the truth. We color them with, with, with our race. We color them with ideologies. We color them with our traditions. We paint them in everything but what he is, the King of kings and Lord of lords, right? That every man, every woman, every child, everybody must bow before the Son of God. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Y'all wake up this morning, hit me with it, say something. Say, hey, whatever, hey, do something. All right? He's the King of kings, right? My goal today is that after this sermon, you're going to experience the peace of God during this holiday season in a way that you've never experienced it before, that you're going to experience them in truth, right? That's what I want to happen. So I'm going to read a scripture that y'all have heard many times during the holidays, that you've, you've, you've actually seen it on Hallmark cards and everything else or whatever, right? And on people's Facebook posts. It's Luke 2. Y'all ready? Say ready. All right. Luke 2. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, let's play the villain for a quick minute, right? That wasn't a shot to the villain, but you can take it there if you want to. I don't know. Anyway, let's play the villain. Savior, Messiah, baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. It's so beautiful. We've made so many products and made so much revenue and money out of this one. Just this small scripture, right? It's just verse 11 through 14. Heavenly hosts. I got a little setting on my coffee table right now. It has like the little angels or something, whatever. I don't know. Jules keeps kicking it off. So like, 
One of the angels got like one wing or something like that. But regardless, you know, it looks so beautiful. But he says in verse 14, he says, Glory to God in the highest heaven on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So like when we get back all the novelties and everything else and like playing the Christmas game, there's something that's actually happened here that's supposed to be the most amazing thing in the world, right? It says glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth where we live, right? Come into our neighborhood, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So if you are a believer and a child of God, it means that God's favor is actually resting on you, right? It's good stuff, right? But one thing we can't forget, it's not because you're cute. I'm sorry, some of y'all look very cute in your outfits today and everything, all right? I got these hard bottom shoes on, I try to clean up, my feet are killing me. But we gonna, y'all know me, I do Nikes all day, but we're gonna work through it. But it's not because we're cute because we got together, it's not any of that. This peace and this favor that's gonna rest on us, it's all about God's goodness and mercy towards us. And you can't actually even appreciate it unless you understand that for real. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take us there, y'all ready? So peace to those on whom his favor rests, right? If you have your Bibles, go to Luke 1, and we're going to read 76 through 80. We're going to use this text that I'm about to read to you as like somewhat of a road map to peace is what we're going to do, right? And this is, this is I'm, I'm pulling a piece out of the words from Zechariah, right? Zechariah was actually um, John the Baptist's father. And so when John comes out, Zechariah's like, he says this prophecy, right? And I just want to read a piece of it to you. And what he's talking about, he, he knows God has already shared with him who John is, that John is the forerunner for Jesus, right? And so he says this right here. He says, and you, child, he's talking to John, he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now listen to this right here. To give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So we're going to use this as a road map. So this is what's going on, right? So we're in Advent. We're celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ. And here it is that Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, is telling us like, yo, John, this is what you're about to go do. You're about to make straight the paths for Jesus. He's on, you know what I'm saying? Your cousin coming behind you, get everything ready for him. And he's like, you're coming to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to the people in the forgiveness of their sin because of the tender mercy of our God. And then he says, and I'm going to skip a couple of lines, and he says, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So he, he, he pretty much laid a road map there, right? But let me read, I'm going to read this back to you, and I'm going to play the villain again, and I'm going to let you know what our cultural Christianity, how it reads this, right? It reads this like this. It says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise will visit us from on high to give light to those, to us, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Like, we've done this thing where we've edited out this, this truth, this ugly truth, of how broken and lost we are outside of Christ. So we've, we've, we've taken the gospel and we've just made it into little Hallmark cards, slurs and all that, right? I remember the first time that I went to, I took a, a, a class at Simeon's Trust and they um, were, were, were telling us how to exegete the scriptures and go through the word and everything else. And I go in there and the guy starts the class and he goes through, this is probably why I'm always going at Hallmark or whatever, he goes through a bunch of Hallmark card verses, and he's like, what, is, what do these scriptures mean? And almost everybody in the room got it wrong. They're like, oh yeah, it's about like love and this thing. He's like, no, it's not, it's about suffering. And then he would go through the scripture and show us what it meant. It's the first time I got slapped in the face like, stop playing with the scriptures, young man. It's cultural Christianity, right? We edit out the stuff that tells an ugly truth about us, right? That's what we do. It sounds like bad news, but it's great news. 
Right now, you might be like, dang, man, like, homie, it's Christmas, brother. Like, I got my Christmas sweater on. But we're going to get to it. It's the best news in the world, right? It's the best news in the world. So when he's talking to John, he's telling John, John, you're coming to make the path straight, right? So in Mark 1, um, um, and I'm just going to jump through this, whatever, you don't have to turn to it, but Mark 1, verse 3, and then verse 7, um, it talks about John the Baptist. It says, it says, it describes John as a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And verse 7 says this, and this was this message, after me comes, the one, more, comes one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John is drinking the Kool-Aid he's serving, right? He's drinking the Kool-Aid he's serving, right? Thirsty right now, I want some Kool-Aid, but it's good. It's all good, all right? He doesn't skip over. He says to give knowledge of salvation to the people and the forgiveness of their sins. John is a humble servant of Jesus. He declares, while he's declaring the truth of Jesus Christ, he's saying, homie, I'm not even worthy for, of his bootstraps. You get where I'm coming from? He, 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 is not, he is not walking around like, oh, you know, I am just the anointed one or whatever and this and that, da, da, da. He's not stealing any of the glory from God. He's completely humbled in his story. And so he lays out this map to give knowledge of the salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. We got to hit the forgiveness first, right? Because this guide to our, this, this guiding our feet in the way of peace, that doesn't happen until we hit that forgiveness of sins part because of the tender mercy of God. See, it exalts God. When you deal with the forgiveness aspect, God gets really, really bigger because you're not sitting around like, it's almost like if somebody brings you, you know, a cup of Kool-Aid and I'm like, yeah, homie, I'm good. I already got one right here. But if I'm thirsty for real, and then you bring a cup of Kool-Aid or water or whatever the case may be, then it's going to mean something. Y'all get where I'm coming from? I know it's a simple, simple example, but I want to make sure you understand what we're dancing with, right? This is a roadmap, and it's about your heart. It's about your heart. It's how you find your way to peace, how you experience true joy, right? The way the, way, the, way the, the word of God shows us to experience it. I'm about to show you some ugly stuff. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? All right. James 4. We're going to go to James 4. This thing right here just shows our heart in a very ugly, ugly way. Yours, mine, all of us. says this, starting in verse 1, James 4, says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that, has, that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I'm going to come back to all of this stuff, so we're just rolling through right now. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Can you all say heavy real quick? That's a heavy scripture, isn't it? When I start messing with that James 4 thing, I'm like, uh, I don't like talking about this, Lord. Like, it exposes our heart, right? Or I hope it exposes our heart, because if it does, it's a very good thing, because the end of it, of it gives us a beautiful promise. It says God actually gives grace to those who humble, right? So if the light shines on you or whatever, and you're looking like, oh, I'm caught, if you say I'm caught, then all of a sudden you enter right into God's beautiful grace in this amazing way. Do y'all see how that works? But if the light hits you and you hide from it, God says you set yourself as an enemy of mine. You, you feel me? Because he came to save the lost. So if you won't raise your hand and say I'm lost, you get where I'm coming from? 
then you say, I don't need you. The work of that, you're, that you've done through your son Jesus is not really, doesn't have value to me. Y'all get where I'm coming from? We're going to work through this really quick. In verse 4, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enemy, in, enmity with God? What he's referring to that is this right here. He's saying that you have made peace with worldly things that are at war with God, the prince of peace, all right? That's the translation on that, right? Don't, don't start running around through, like, you know, while you're sitting thinking right now, don't, don't start going through all the things that you just think that you, you know, you've done wrong and everything else. This isn't about you working through your task list and trying to be super good. This is about a heart condition, right? This is about a heart condition. When John is talking about make the pathway straight, right, that he's called to make the pathway straight for the coming of Jesus, and he's declaring that to the people, John is actually saying, like, get all of the junk out of the way. Prepare your heart for repentance because the best thing in the world is about to happen. You, understand, you ever had to confront somebody about their sin before and they make you wrestle over it? Like it's like it's blatant what they did, but they're like, yo, you, I'm a, I'll die before I admit the truth. I have that issue all the time. Anybody else? Come on, now throw your hands in there and wave them like you just don't care. All right? We, we, I'm telling you. My wife is over there looking at She's trying not to look at me. She's like, boy, I hope he's talking about himself. Okay, all right. Y'all get where I'm coming from? My heart often. The other day I called her or whatever, and I had to go somewhere to a meeting, and I was like, yeah, babe, why would you leave and take the keys with you? Both set of keys or whatever. Like, I have to get to this meeting in like 20 minutes, right? And she's like, man, you know, Jay, she's being all extra humble or whatever, and I'm being a jerk. I call her back on the phone, and I apologize. Just because I know I'm supposed to apologize, my heart wasn't really in it, right? But it's the right thing to do, right? I'm doing my self-righteous thing. I call her back and apologize. Then I get off the phone. I'm always telling her and Monty, don't leave the keys in the car because if somebody breaks in the car, then they got the house key. You get where I'm coming from? Any old criminals? Out? Oh, sorry, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so I get off the phone with her and I realize I left both of the keys in the car, right? So then I called back again, and I was like, baby, I'm like a jerk for real. I had to repent. Like, this time it was for real, because I was like, this actually had nothing to do with you. You get where I'm coming from? But like, man, my phone, look, it, in my mind, I, was, I tried to think of every way I could not be guilty of this. Before I made that phone call, I was like, I was like, I don't, some, maybe she grabbed the keys and brought them back. You know, I'm coming up with all type of stupid stuff in my mind because my flesh is so rotten that it's just, it just does not want to be wrong. Y'all get where I'm coming from? But God in these scriptures right here is inviting us to walk in the light, right? Verse 6, he says this. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let me backtrack this really, really quick because I want you to catch this. So he goes through this whole thing where he calls us out about what stirs up these quarrels and everything else. Y'all want, you, know what, you know what the Greek translation for passion is? Right? Because he says what causes these fights is that like our passions are at war with us. The Greek translation is pleasure. So the things that pleasure us cause war. What was about to call a, cause a war with me and Lana is that what pleasures me is actually being right and not being wrong. Pretty simple put. You get it? Right? What, what pleasures us is somebody else having to say they're wrong versus us. Right? What pleasures us is, 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 is selling houses, flipping homes, and making money and everything else, but not having to be mindful of how it may affect other communities. Right? Different things that are not in themselves just direct sins, but like even if we do know where we want to look in it, will it stop our money, right? Because what pleasures us is having security and, what, and having comfort. Like this goes like deep, it goes deep into it. Like we're not going to get before the Lord one day and start explaining all type of crazy stuff. He's going to lay our hearts wide open in front of us, right? It's the passions. It's what pleasures us. It's what pleasures us. That's what causes the war. That's what causes beefs. It's what causes wars with country. It's what causes beef with our neighbors, 
So he says, he's talking to people of God. He says, you adulterous people. And in verse 5, he says this. This is where it flips. He says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace, therefore says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, right? So a lot of times when we have subscribed to a works-based gospel instead of a gospel that says Jesus saves us by grace, no works on our own, he did all of the work. But if we think our, if our, if our Christianity is this religious thing where we think we have to work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, and be really, really good, to be in favor with God, then we hide from him, right? But it says his, his wrath towards that can't even compare to his grace towards those who humble themselves, right? So here's the thing. On both sides of that, that equation I just threw at you, right? You have the one person who won't walk in the light and confess their sins. They're a sinner, right? And, and, and they're at war with God. On the other side, you have a person who is experiencing an, an, an abundant amount of grace and mercy from God. Y'all with me so far? But guess what? They're a sinner just like the other person. One sinner is receiving wrath, is in opposition to God. The other sinner is actually receiving grace and mercy. Right? You get where I'm coming from? The difference here is one won't walk, confess their sins, and the other will. One took a shortcut on the road map, right? They skipped over the forgiveness part. They just like, it's going to bring salvation, and then we're going to make our way to peace. And they're like, cool, I'm a great person. I deserve that. The other person is like, God, why in the world would you come save a wretch like me? But glory to you. Glory to you forever for your goodness to me. You get where I'm coming from? I just want to make it super simple for you because it's a hard scripture and sometimes we run from these things but like there's a beautiful, beautiful promise inside of it, right? So verse six, but he gives more grace. I want you to go home with that. I don't want you to go home feeling like, oh man, I fall short, whatever. I'm at peace with the world. You can just admit that. You can say, God, I do love, I do love myself a whole lot. I do, you, you can say it. God wants to walk with you. He wants to be your friend in the middle of all of that, even in the middle of your mess. It's not like, oh, you sinner, you disgust me. He says that he died for us while we were yet in our sin, while we were knee deep in our iniquities. He came. So even much more, right, as his children. I told you all about Jules the other day, whatever, he found some hair grease, he put it all on the wall. I just painted the wall. Right? Clean off the wall. Jules, you can't do that, homie. So he found some paint and went to the paint somewhere else. But he's still my son. He gets grace and mercy. We're in a process. You get where I'm coming from? It says, but he gives more grace. That's what I want you to go home with today. That's the gift. That's the Christmas gift. He gives more grace. Y'all say that one time. More grace. So whatever Satan comes at you this year and be like, you are the worst. You missed the mark. You didn't buy enough gifts. You didn't buy any gifts. Or you bought too much gifts. You're irresponsible. Whatever he keeps trying to put on your head, you throw more grace at him. Right? You throw more grace at him. And then you look at whatever God is trying to deal with you. Maybe you did some of that stuff. But you don't walk in that condemned. You walked in it convicted. That's the goodness of God. That's our inheritance as the children of God. We actually get to walk in the light where people have got to hide from it. I can be the worst. And, I can, and, and Jesus will still walk through it with me, right? That's, that's a rich existence. That's peace and that's joy, right? Verse 7, look at this. Look at the things he's going to tell us, right? He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. So he tells us resist. He tells us draw near to God. And here's the thing. Let's get this real, straight real quick. Because when you read this, if you read this from a works-based standpoint, when you see the word resist, all you're going to think about is try as hard as I can not to sin. Don't look at that again. Don't say that again. Don't go there again. 
resist not counteracting the devil with more grace. That's what he's telling you to do. He's telling you to resist, right? Resist Satan making you look at your failures instead of looking at the goodness and mercy of Jesus Christ, right? The roadmap says he's coming to bring forgiveness of sins and to walk you into peace. Your sin is a part of the process. It doesn't disqualify you. It disqualifies you if you won't lay before his throne and walk in the light with it. You get where I'm coming from? So either, you can, either Satan can play and you use your sin to hide or something that can actually bring you closer to the Father. It'll make you hold on to his feet a little bit harder. Like, God, I'm a mess. I need you, right? I need you. Listen, let me tell you something. I done counseled some brothers in here that done went through stuff or whatever and all type of stuff or whatever. I've went through stuff with my wife before. Let me tell you something. That'll make you hold your wife like you ain't never held it in your whole life. You get where I'm coming from? You ever almost lost one of your kids? I guarantee you that hug you put on the next time is a little bit different. You get where I'm coming from? So he says, resist, draw near to God, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. And in verse 9 he says, be wretched, mourn, weep. Christians are supposed to be the most aware people in the whole entire world. Where people are telling all of the fake stories, where people are writing a new, where they're re-envisioning um, the, the, you know, our broken past and our broken history in this country, in the world, everything else, while people are sitting around trying to paint this perfect picture to justify themselves, right? Christians are supposed to look at the truth dead in the face, right? Because for some people, they, it, their self-righteousness is all they got, so they got to fight tooth and nail to protect it. But if your righteousness is found in Jesus Christ, you get to say some really ugly things or whatever that are true and deal with them and be like, this is messed up. It's really messed up. I'm actually a part of it. I've actually contributed to it. And this is, this is horrible. This is actually worthy of death and my hand fingerprints are on it. You can actually go that deep. You can go that deep. That's powerful. That's the one of the things that is going to rock the people around you as you declare the gospel and proclaim the gospel. Is that you're not afraid to tell the truth. Because you've received the one who is true. Right? So he says, be wretched, mourn and weep. This is the things that, that people in the world, when we talk about worldliness, when he's talking about being friends with the world, he's talking about the fact that people in the world will, who, excuse me, or who are, let, me let me make sure I, I, I explain that. This is people who reject the good news of Jesus Christ. They will not be wretched. They will not mourn, and they will not weep. When we look inside of 1 John and we see the Pharisee and we see the tax collector in the temple, right? My church, I know y'all know this because we talk about this all the time. The Pharisee comes in and he runs down his resume. Thank you, Lord, that I give my tithes, that I, that I work with the poor. I do all of these things, and God, I'm just faithful, and, and I love your people, and I'm so amazing. And then here comes the backstabbing, traitorous, turncoat on his country, tax collector. Everybody in the community feels like he'd be better off if he just, you know what I'm saying, take him out. Let's kill him. That's, that's how wretched they are. And he comes in the temple, and he won't even go to the front, but he beats his chest. He goes, God, have mercy on me. He goes, I'm a sinner. And then Jesus says, he's the one who left justified. The one who didn't come, who, whose resume was deplorable, is the one who's justified. The one who thought his resume was tidied up real nice and all that. He went to resume.com, they fixed him up. I told y'all last week, you know what I'm saying? He worked at the McDonald's drive-thru. He was like, I'm a community technician. I don't know, something, whatever. He, he doctored up that resume real sweet, right? I handle window operations and community um, communications, all right? But he failed inspection. 
Josh was like, I didn't come for the cute folks. I came for the broke, busted, and disgusted. That would say, God, I need you. I'm done without you, right? So he says, be wretched. That's what the Pharisee wouldn't do. He was too busy telling himself stories about how awesome he was. So he wouldn't be wretched. He wouldn't mourn, right? He wouldn't look at the brokenness and mourn. He wouldn't weep over himself. He wouldn't look in the mirror and see what it really is. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Well, I just told you earlier, I said, I want you to have true joy and peace. But he's saying, like, let your joy go to gloom. But you got to remember, we're on the roadmap, though, right? We're doing the roadmap. So right now we're going through this hard part, through this part where John's, you know, John's talking about Jesus coming to bring forgiveness. But we're on our way to peace, right? Let's look back at it really quick. I want to make sure y'all know where we're at. We got a GPS right. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. That's the hard stuff we're going through, looking in the mirror. Because of the tender mercy of God. Once you, once you grasp your brokenness, once you mourn, once you weep, once you let, allow yourself to be wretched, once you allow yourself to actually be needy, it's forgiveness of your sins. Then it says because of the tender mercy of God. So now the tender mercy of God becomes apparent to you. And it says, whereby, is the, whereby the, sunrise shall, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death. That, that, is, that is the very uncute way, but truthful way of saying, talking about being disconnected from God. This word right here calls it in darkness. Nobody wants to wear that. Nobody wants to wear that. In the shadow of death. Jesus didn't come to, like, you know, help some people who just need a little help. He came to save people who were absolutely hopeless, completely disconnected from God because of their sin. Y'all with me so far? And then it says, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So I just want y'all to know where we're on the road map. We're going to be done in a minute, but we are on the way to the way of peace, all right? And verse 10 says this right here. This is the beautiful thing. It wraps up right here. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you, right? So the one person over here who's in sin, the wrath of God is against them, step over here. Humble yourselves. Walk in the light. God, I'm sinful. And it says he will exalt you. Part of that exaltation that you have is that you will know joy and you will know peace. You ever got around somebody who's like content in Christ? Like, they're content in a way where it just messes with you. Like, where you're just like, I know you're going through stuff. Why is it you seem joyful through this process, right? I talk about our elder Tony Johnson all the time. Like, I love him to death, and I'm so happy I get to spend so much time with him. But that's, that's the beautiful thing about him. I'm so glad he serves this church. But, like, I don't care what I throw at him. He just always is just like, yeah, let's pray about it. You know that voice. Yeah, let's pray about it. <laughs> you know, Jay, God is able. And I'm like, brother, I want to get mad and throw some things. The Lord is able, Jay. And he just goes right there with it. He's content. He is content. He is crazy content. I've been at events or whatever, like where people, events where people are getting honored and esteemed and everything else or whatever, and I'm sitting there at the table as one of the pastors at the event, and then here comes Tony and Connie picking up the food trays and cleaning. I'm like, what are y'all doing here, and what are you doing cleaning up the tables here? Like, how do you even know about this event? Just saw an opportunity to serve, Jay. Just want to come and serve the people of God. I'm like, y'all are like Christian royalty to me. We're foot washers. We serve, right? <laughs> Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. All right? Matthew 5, it's the Beatitudes, right? I'm going to read this to you really quick. The reason I'm going to read this to you, right, because the people that are described, these blessed people, these are people who... 
they've been obedient to what we just discussed in James 4, right? They've mourned. They've let themselves become wretched. And they are the people, they are now the exalted. Listen to what it says. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, listen to this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will seek God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And in verse 10 he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the people right there who rejected friendship in the world. And so the world is actually turning on them, right? Because if you stand with God, if you stand in your workplace and start going, that's actually not right. You will endure some persecution. You will end up in situations where your job will actually be on the line, the career you've actually worked so hard to have. I just want to be real with you. This is the, this is the truth, right? My, my, my brother Mark Nettleton, Nettleton, who lives in Brentwood and leads Second Mile, I remember when we were doing the tour, the Come and See tour, where they take you around the neighborhood. And Brentwood's in Zone 1. It's in one of our most economically challenged context. I think that 70% of people there don't have cars um, and highest murder rate, highest infant death, so many things going on, right? And if you look through the historical narrative, it's a community that's been neglected by our government, by our own city, so many ways or whatever. It's a travesty. We've placed value over here and no value over here, but there's, there's death and there's bloodshed as a result of it, right? Everybody's responsible for themselves, I get that, but there's a narrative here, right, and there's a result. But Mark lives over there, and I remember him taking us through the come and see tour, and he said, he said, yeah, that's my house right there. That's the house me and my wife bought. And he said, as soon as we bought it, the value of it's nothing over here. We'll never gain equity on it, right? But he's like, this is the cost. This is the cost for us to come and serve this community. This is what God has actually called us to do, right? This is what he's leading us to do. I use that example, whatever, not to make a hero out of him, but because serving God and walking in truth, whatever that looks like for you up under Christ and where he's leading you and your family, there's, there's a cost when you stand in truth. Some family, some people you love dearly. I've lost so many friends I can't even count. I'm just a weirdo to them because I talk about Jesus. Many of them been in this church and I've watched them just leave. They're like, it's cute, but it hurts. I wouldn't want you to be ignorant to that. But he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11 says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see that? You see that humble yourself and exalt it, right? But what's so amazing is like, this is not even like a quick, like, you know, like a little kudos award. This is like eternal. We can't even grasp it. We can't even grasp it so much that it's not even an impressive word to us anymore which just shows our sinfulness, right? Shows how far we are. It's eternal. God's gift, this gift he has for us this Christmas in Jesus Christ is eternal, right? It'll never fade. It'll never falter. It never will, right? I'm going to read this last scripture, and I'm going to try to hurry up and close this out, y'all. I have so much more to preach. I did not know the script. This was so long, but it's all good. Let me just read this last one real quick. I want to wrap it all up for you. Colossians 1, 19 through 23. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's talking about Jesus. And through him to reconcile. That means that there was broken relationship with our sin. It set us 
as enemies to God, right? And we had no way to fix this, but Jesus, right? It says, it says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, now we get on this true peace, right? We're going to take it off the Hallmark card and put it on the cross, all right? Making peace by the blood of his cross. Our sin is so wretched, the cost for Jesus to take the penalty was him getting beat to the point that the Bible says he was not even recognizable as a human being. That's what it says. It says he was battered to that point, right? And he gives his life, right? They didn't take his life. He gave his life for us. He did the great exchange for us. All our sin, all of this stuff he's asking to do, this is why we can walk in the light, because it's been taken care of. And it's free to us, very expensive to him, to the Son of God, kings of kings, Lord of lords, right? Very expensive to him. He takes our filthy resume, and he pays the price for it. He came and he lived a perfect life, and he gives us his flawless, amazing resume. You understand what I'm saying? You see how that works? That's the gospel. That's why we don't have to work for it. He's already done the work. You understand what I'm saying? He's already done the work for us. Verse 21, he says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled. Restored friendly relations in the blood in the body of flesh by his death. Listen to this. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If you if if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which he has which he had which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I Paul became a minister. I just want to point to very quickly to verse 22. These are the blessings of his goodness to us right here, right? It says that we're going to be made holy. It says you will be presented holy, as holy. Not because of you. Not because you've marked off the things on the list. Not because your resume is like the Pharisees. That won't do it. Maybe you actually are doing a bunch of amazing stuff, and that's awesome. But it doesn't add to your righteousness, and it doesn't save you at all. His blood on the cross, when we walk in the light and we confess our sins, and we follow, right, and we claim him as Lord, he calls us holy. You may say, God, I'm a failure, I'm a mess up. I call you holy. I call you my child, Right? blood of my son it seemed to be smeared all over this mess that you've done and I can't quite see what you are talking about call you holy says I call you blameless God I'm guilty blood of my son is I can't quite see it too well you're blameless that's the gift he gives us says above reproach reproaches is, 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 is disappointment. It says that we're going to actually be above that. So when Satan comes with his condemnation, he's always telling you that you're just not enough. He calls it, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. His job is to be on, on, on you all day long in your ear saying, you are not enough. You are bad. You are the worst. How can you dare call yourself a Christian? I know what you did yesterday. You keep saying and keep repenting about the same old thing. You're a fraud. That's Satan's job. But right here he says, above reproach. This is what the blood of Jesus does. The work he did, he worked it out. Just got to walk in the light and trust him. So for us, this Christmas, 
If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, for our sin, we get forgiveness. Right? For our gloom, we get joy. For our confusion, we get peace. For death, we get life in Christ Jesus. It's my sermon for today. Let's pray really quick. Glory to you, Lord. God, we just praise you, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness, Father. Father, it is beyond our comprehension why you have chosen us and brought us into your light, Father. For us who are children and follow you, Father, Lord, we don't even comprehend it and understand it. But we have to declare the good news of what you've done, Father, Lord. We can't be in a world that is gasping for air and then have found air and not share it with people. So, Lord, this morning, Father, Lord, we pray for anybody in the room who has been wrestling with the gospel or church or these Christian people are weird or whatever the case is. Yeah, we are crazy. But, God, we're still your children. We're not your children because we got it together. We're the ch your children because you got it together for us. We're your children because you've you purchased us with the blood of your son. God, and you freely offer that, Father. It says you got wrath for your enemies, but she says you have more grace for those who will walk in the light. So God, I pray, Father Lord, if there's anybody in this room today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Father Lord, that you begin to do a work in their heart this morning. Begin to do a work in their heart this morning, Father. I pray that they would know, Father, Lord, that for us it's a celebration. Many of us in here had this walk, or we, we had a moment where we had to walk in the light and confess our sins, and we live in it. It's not a one-time repentance. We walk in repentance every day. It's a gift that we have. We get to grab on you more and more. The more we see ourselves and go, ugh, we get to grab on you and go, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we just praise you and we thank you for that this morning. We thank you, Father, for your gospel. That's our gift, Father. That's our gift, Father, Lord, and it is a precious, beautiful gift, Father. We thank you for peace that surpasses understanding. We thank you for true joy, Father, Lord. We thank you for your son Jesus coming, Father, Lord. And we thank you that he's coming back, Father. And we thank you that his promises are sure. We thank you for the hope that we rest in, Father, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.